Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Conversations podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Whether you've been with us for all of our conversations or if this is your first time, thank you for listening. We're so happy that you're joining us as we explore the issues and meet the people who are important to Northwest Ohio and to Owens Community College. Be sure to listen to our previous programs and subscribe to Conversations to join us for future episodes. Today, I am so excited to welcome Jack Hershey, President and CEO of the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. He represents the presidents and trustees of the state's 23 community colleges. Jack has been a strong supporter of Owens for years, and so today, we're happy to have him with us. A Cleveland-area native, Jack Hershey came to the OACC in 2014 after spending 10 years at Ohio State University, where he was most recently the university's Associate Vice President for State Relations, a position in which he managed state government affairs for the university. Earlier in his career, Jack was Deputy Director of the Office of Budget and Management under former Governor Bob Taft and was Director of Finance and a Financial Analyst in the Ohio House of Representatives under former Speaker Joanne Davidson. Jack holds a Bachelor's Degree in Public Policy Management from the University of Akron and is pursuing a Master's Degree in Public Policy Management from Ohio State. Jack is a great friend to Owens Community College, and we are so grateful that he's taking the time today to join us for a conversation. Hello, Jack, and thank you for being our guest today. Jack Hershey, welcome to Conversations. I'm so thrilled that you're able to join us today. It's our pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you, Dr. Somerville. Really an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So one of the things that we ask every one of our guests on the Conversations podcast is, how did you know that you needed education post high school? Talk a little bit about your college going journey. It was never a choice in my household, uh, never even a question that I was moving on to college. And so I appreciate that. It was ingrained into me from my parents from the very beginning that I was going to move on and go get a bachelor's degree. My parents never gave me the option and I never really thought twice about it, right? I mean, growing up in that culture, it was uh, from day one, I knew it was really more of a choice of where I was going to go. Was I going to stay close to home or was I uh, going to move out of state and I stayed close to home with the end mm-hmm. result of that. Did you want to go to Akron because you wanted to be close to LeBron James? I mean, <laughs> what, was, what was the deciding factor for going to Akron? No. Funny story. LeBron James, of course, went to St. <laughs> Vincent, St. Mary High mm-hmm. School. I went to Walsh Jesuit High School. They were our arch rivals. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a rivalry. We'll never win again because <laughs> once once your rival gets LeBron James, it's kind of over. So I actually started at Kent State. Mm-hmm. I'm a transfer student. Okay. Um, I started wanting to be a journalism major, mm-hmm. thought I was going to be a reporter. In my first freshman uh, year, I took a course in Middle Eastern politics mm-hmm. and had a professor who was an adjunct. So I don't, I never saw him again. I never met him again. And I didn't understand the impact of his statement on me at the time, but he kind of said, you know, you, you seem to like this. You're pretty good, you know, and interested in the subject. And I was, he had a fascinating perspective of somebody. He was Palestinian, uh, grew up in the area, had lived Middle Eastern politics Mm -hmm. and was an eye-opening class for me. And he sort of said, he's like, you can either write about the public policy world or you can try to influence it from the inside. Mm -hmm. And he pushed me to say, I think you should think about the other side of it. And of course, like a college student. I was like, yeah, that's nice. You don't know what you're talking about and moved on. Um, 
But I did eventually change my uh, major and I listened to him. And at that point, I looked at sort of other options as to whether that meant a change for me. At the time, and this is interesting given what I do now, the thing that pivoted me from moving from Kent State was state budget cuts. Mm -hmm. So state budget cuts in higher education had come down. This was in the 90s when George Voinovich was governor. Mm -hmm. And at Kent State, they did across-the-board budget cuts to every department. And the Department of Political Science, or journalism at that time, they implemented it by getting rid of their copy machine which meant that from a student perspective, our Mm -hmm. professor came in and said, I have been giving you multiple choice tests this whole time. Mm -hmm. I can either continue that and you will each bring me in a quarter and I'll go to Kinko's and make copies and bring in the multiple choice (laughs) test to you, or we can go to a blue book essay. And so as a class, we all voted. Mm -hmm. Oh no, well, here's a quarter, you know, (laughs) we'll stick with the multiple choice uh, test. And so it was fine at the moment. But in my head as a student, I was like, "Hmm, something must be going wrong with it. You know, I didn't Mm -hmm. know there were state budget cuts. I just knew that for some reason, this department that I was a part of couldn't even afford a copy machine anymore. Mm -hmm. So I started looking and I ended up moving to um, the University of Akron because they had political science and public policy. And I have always loved the public policy world. I'm a policy wonk. I don't love the politics side of it as much, but they had a nice mix of programming that um, exposed me to both sides of it. That is amazing. And so it was that quarter that led you down this investigative role to where you, you kind of ended up where you are. Yeah, that quarter cost Kent State quite a bit of tuition going <laughs> forward. But yes, it it was the right move for me. I was a happy graduate, a proud graduate of the University of Akron now. So when you graduated eventually from Akron, you went to work in finance at the Ohio House of Representatives. Talk about that leap. When you talk about being public policy, but then there's finance, how did all that mesh together? Part of the reason I went to Akron and made the jump was they had internship opportunities. And I had this view as a college student that I don't think I'm ever going to get a job out of this, right? I I don't know what my path is coming out of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea that they had, you know, work-based learning opportunities Mm -hmm. at the time was appealing to me. And so my last semester, I was back on campus, but the previous one, uh, I came down and worked in the Ohio House of Representatives as an intern. And I came at the time that Republicans had just taken control of the Ohio House of Representatives under Speaker Joanne Davidson. Mm-hmm. They put me as an intern with the uh, finance chairman, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Johnson. He was my first uh, boss at the, at the State House. Mm-hmm. And it was the greatest experience an intern could ever have because wow. everybody was learning. Mm-hmm. You know, it had been 30 years since Republicans had been in charge in the House. And so I got experiences that most interns would never get. And so I really fell in love with the opportunity out of there. I had had in my head that maybe a goal of mine would be to go to Washington, D.C. and to be a staffer at a committee. Mm-hmm. And boy, I got the job as an intern, <laughs> you know, coming right out of college. And so I love the people in that office. I love the experience that I had working on the, the state budget at the time. And so when my internship ended, uh, they kind of told me, go back, finish your degree. And If you want to come back, there's a job waiting here. One of the questions I have specifically, your internship were with some pretty legendary people. 
in Columbus. I mean, when I visited with you and, and our government mm-hmm. relations people, literally it felt like every place we went was named after Ohio Congresswoman Davidson. Did you know that going in, you know, the, the magnitude of the people you'd be working with, or is it something only in retrospect? I didn't know it going in, no. I was a college student. I didn't know anything going in. Um, but I learned quickly a few things, right? And I, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned the two people I worked for most closely, and I just took enormous lessons for them. I mean, they were longstanding veteran public servants, right? And so Tom Johnson, who was a state representative from uh, the Zanesville area, was a culture shock for me growing up in Northeast Ohio, you know, representing now working for people representing in Appalachia was uh, eye opening for me. But he was my main takeaway from him was he was the most humble public servant I'd ever seen. Right. He got so much done by letting other people take credit for it, Hmm. which, you know, if you think of uh, everybody can probably think of a politician right now who takes credit for everything and probably gets a little less done than they actually say mm-hmm. they do. He got so much done. And so that that humility, that humbleness has stuck with me as a lesson mm-hmm. uh, my whole life. Uh, Speaker Joanne Davidson was probably the smartest person I've ever worked for, the most prepared person I've ever worked for, the most frustrating person to work for. <laughs> she knew everything. And as a staff person, you would sometimes be like, what am I even here for, right? <laughs> you'd you'd write her a, like a memo and says, well, here's what I know about this. Or you'd walk into her office. It's like, okay, I just found out, you know, this about this policy issue we've been working on. She's like, oh yeah, no, I know. Somebody just called me on it. And you're like, gosh, you can never, you can <laughs> you, never, never stump her. her. She's also one of two people I've worked for in my life that uh, don't sleep. Really? I mean, she existed on two to three hours of sleep. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> but as a college student, being outworked and being able to uh, not stay up as long as the Speaker of the House was <laughs> was was not reassuring to me. In terms <laughs> it was a different of, kind of lesson in humanity. It was a different, <laughs> yes, very well put. Her preparation for almost anything was really impressive. And I have really learned that, especially in the public sector, hard work beats talent a lot of the time. And if you are willing to do the work and you're willing to prepare, you can achieve great things in the public sphere. And that's my lasting lesson from her. Uh, I was incredibly honored to have had the chance to work for both of them. That just sounds like an amazing experience. As you talk about the transition that was taking place at the time you were down there, Mm -hmm. we hear a lot locally at state level, federally, about bipartisanship mm-hmm. and what it means to kind of have a unified approach in how you approach things. And your role leading the Ohio Association of Community Colleges, a lot of times I talk about my role saying I'm politically agnostic. Mm-hmm. Your role is much the same. And so what kind of takeaways do you have from that experience in terms of how do you get things done on behalf of OACC? I really do feel that there's no red or blue in my job. And that's because I still think Ohio is a very politically diverse state. And if you look at community colleges, the word community is important. I think most community colleges reflect the communities that they live in. I view that if we're going to advocate for a change in policy, it has got to be welcoming in every community to every group of people. I also feel that we have to be cognizant of the fact that we're bringing in very diverse groups of people to study in our mm-hmm. colleges. Uh, it's one of the strengths, I think, of community colleges is our diversity. And so I do think very carefully about the fact that 
whatever we do, both at the state level, at the federal level, and at that local level, when you're interacting with the people in your community, we can't alienate mm -hmm. uh, any group of people because we, the role of community colleges is to be open door institutions. When others will say no and not let you in, we will. And I think that role is incredibly important. I also think this, I think, you know, in my entire time working this, community colleges have always been loved by Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. There is no partisan issue with community colleges. And I do not want to be the one to screw that up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think very carefully about when we're taking positions on things, you know, are we doing anything to tilt the balance one way or the other? Are we being thoughtful about everyone's perspective and this? And, you know, you see that broadly in society, but you also see it within our association. And there are, there are presidents who are both Republican-leaning and Democrat-leaning and come from Republican-leaning areas and come from Democrat-leaning areas. And so that's the beauty, I think, of this work is making sure you're listening to all perspectives and trying to find common ground. That is so well put, because if truly our role is to provide opportunity for individuals and workforce development and all of the things that's kind of encapsulated in the community college mission, mm -hmm. It is really about inclusion, and that means everybody, regardless of your background, your experience, your political affiliation, that truly means everybody. And I mean, I think that's why it's a privilege to work in the community college sector, but I couldn't agree with you more. It's really important for us to be able to, to have that kind of unified approach. Now, you're a native Clevelander. Mm -hmm. Proud and Clevelander. A proud native Clevelander. Mm -hmm. That's always important to put in there. And my, my husband's a proud native Clevelander as well. And so I, I think I'm one by proxy, but he tells me it doesn't work quite that way. No, it does. It okay. does. Tell him he's wrong. I'll tell him. Oh, it would be so hard for me to tell my husband he's wrong. <laughs> so you have stayed in Ohio, but Ohio over you know the last 20 years or so has seen a lot of change. What have been some of the most notable changes? changes that you've seen? The change I'd like to see is a Cleveland sports victory by the Browns in the Super Bowl. <laughs> that I have not seen yet, um, but I'm hanging on someday. Now you realize our sound engineer is a Lions fan, right? <laughs> well, I feel his pain and he feels ours because we're Neither of us are getting to the Super Bowl anytime soon. Um, hey, there's always next year. <laughs> see, now that makes you a Clevelander right there. The fact that you knew that phrase and said it out loud. I would say, you know, to me, there's a, there's a couple. One is the, the population growth and shift in Ohio. If you look at the last 20 years, you've seen that Ohio has grown overall in population, 2 3% growth overall. But if you take Columbus and the areas surrounding Columbus out of that equation, the rest of Ohio has shrunk about a percent or two. That's a big change. Uh, some of that was due to economics. Um, some of that was due to our weather and the draw of people to warmer climates. But I think hopefully that's shifting a little bit, right? I mean, as we, as we start to reshore manufacturing, as we start to see the Midwest uh, draw companies and interest away from the coasts, uh, mm -hmm. I hope that we see that growth throughout the state again. Um, and part of that, and, and this is really the other thing I see, is a much more diversified economy, right? Mm -hmm. We were largely, you know, manufacturing and agriculture were our two big things. Um, right. And I, I give some credit to uh, Jobs Ohio. I think when Jobs Ohio was formed as a new strategy, mm -hmm. uh, they did a really nice job of saying not only 
are we going to bring people into the state, but we're going to diversify our economy. And so we now have, you know, we now have Facebook here. We now have Google here. We now have Amazon Web Services, right? And, and now you're bringing Intel and other semiconductor manufacturing, and that is an industry into the state. That, I hope, reverses that overall trend for the state so that we see population growth again back everywhere. It's interesting because as a person who, you know, I lived here, you know, I went to, to school here for several years and lived in the Cleveland area for a while, left and then came back. There are certain things that, you know, like this area of the state of Northwest Ohio, it, it looks incredibly different. Like there are places where there are, or there's so much development where mm-hmm. if it weren't for a few landmarks, I wouldn't know them. You know, like they were rest stops literally when I went to school here. But there's something about the ethic of the people that yeah. is the same. You know, people are still engaging and want to help and are friendly and, and want to work. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, as someone coming back to the area was incredibly familiar. And we know that our state leadership talks a lot about, you know, if you're a company looking to do X, Y, and Z, you have to wonder what's going on in Ohio and, uh-huh. you know, to want to be here. And so I guess some of that is just kind of hardwired in the culture of the state. Yeah, the culture of the state is strong and people love Ohio. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did 10 years at Ohio State. And when I worked for President Gee at the time, traveling with him anywhere out of state, he would always say the story. I didn't believe him until I witnessed it <laughs> firsthand. But you would have people come up to him, right? I mean, we were at, um, I believe we were at the Sugar Bowl, and we were at some big event for the alumni. And people, like on the catering staff, would come up to him and be like, I'm from Ohio. You mm-hmm. know, I live down here now, but I'm from Ohio. And he was like, oh, why'd you move? And they're like, oh, you know, they give a reason. But they're like, oh, I'd come back in a heartbeat. Like, mm-hmm. find me a job, and I'd come back. It's just, <laughs> I love the culture there, and I miss it. And that happened over and over and over again. And so it really does sort of, there is something special about the culture of this state. And, you know, you may leave for better weather, but you'll probably come back for culture at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you were an example. I'm an you example. left and came back. And I'm, I'm even an import, you know, being a native Detroiter, I'm one of those imports that, you know, a lot of our elected officials talk about mm-hmm. in, in terms of, you know, people who come here for higher education and stay for whatever reason. So... It's been a place of opportunity for me, for sure. So you transitioned into higher education Mm -hmm. with that Ohio State role, right? Yes. And so what made you become interested in education? And really, what has made you stay? Because that was a little while ago. My first job, if you go back to my interning, my my very first job was staffing the uh, Finance Subcommittee on Higher Education. And so it was four members, it was a small subcommittee, mm-hmm. and they really went through a lot of meaty issues. And And we put some kind of interesting policy proposals at the time, you know, one of which was to uh, establish the access challenge for community college students. Mm-hmm. And it was to really uh, help more of them achieve a community college education. It was some pretty big policy moves that we made. And I was, as a young intern, I was like, oh, well, this is, you know, the the connection of me in higher ed mm-hmm. as a student, also working on higher education policy probably clicked with me very early on. And then see the continuum. Almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I will say this, you know, sometimes you have to look at your mentors and leaders and recognize that they see things in you that you don't see mm-hmm. in yourself. So Tom Johnson, uh, the state representative I mentioned, always for years 
told me you're going to go work in higher education one day. He just, and you know, and he never had, he never had a great explanation for why. I don't know why, but he just would always say that you are destined to, you seem to like this. You're good at it. You'll go there someday. And so I got to Ohio State. I did love it. My last two years at Ohio State, I was put on projects by President Gee that forced me to learn about community colleges and work with community college leaders. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. The students at Ohio State didn't need my help. I was really there to help the faculty members, some of the most amazing faculty members you'll ever see, but it was to help them reach their research goals. Here, I feel like I am fulfilling a mission, right? Because I am helping community college students succeed every day. And that that is what has kept me. But I love higher ed policy. It moves a little slow for me, I'll be honest. But um, I'd like to see some more changes happen faster. But we're also living in a state that has been very supportive of higher education, both in terms of reforms and financially. And that has made it a very rewarding area to work in. Mm -hmm. There's something special to be able to know that what you wake up to do day in, day out, really has meaning and purpose in transforming someone else's life. Mm -hmm. And that has to bring you meaning and joy. And I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons to be in education, period, but definitely higher education and definitely community colleges. Yeah. Yeah, we're truly making a difference. And that's why I pursued this all the way back to your first question. That's mm -hmm. why I got into public policy in general, was to help people and make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that this position in particularly has helped me do that more than almost any other one I've held. So in terms of OACC, what would you say is the biggest role, function, purpose of OACC? Like, I know what I get out of it as mm -hmm. a, you know, as a member institution, as, a, as one of the presidents involved, but... When you think globally, at the end of the day, what's OACC's role? So I always, uh, I think most people understand what a chamber of commerce is, mm -hmm. right? It's it's business and civic leaders coming together to collaborate and help mm -hmm. businesses succeed in the area, but also to help improve the community. And I view that's kind of a similar role. We're kind of like a small chamber of commerce, but for mm -hmm. community colleges. So we certainly come together to collaborate on a lot of stuff, right? I mean, we collaborate on on what we do with government, but we also collaborate just on issues that we're dealing with. Right. It is not uncommon for, we get any group of people together and somebody will say, oh my gosh, I am dealing with this. It's not a policy <laughs> issue. It's not, you know, it's just, I have an opportunity. How should I approach this? And undoubtedly, you know, the, the culture in community colleges is very collaborative. Mm -hmm. And undoubtedly, somebody will say, I have dealt with that before. Here's how I handled it. Here's how I shouldn't have handled it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, here are the mistakes I learned along the way. Uh, I love that aspect of what we do. I love the gathering of everyone's diverse opinions and coming together to the moment where we're like, yes, that makes sense for all of us. Mm -hmm. But I also love it in that it's not about us, mm -hmm. right? That is my general approach to this. We are here to help others. And so, you know, I often say it is when a student graduates from a community college, there's a benefit to that student because yep. they're hopefully going to get a job that gets them a better wage and puts them on a career path. It helps the college because mm -hmm. state funding is tied to the fact that they've graduated. It helps a local employer mm -hmm. because they were able to get and fill a job that they needed. It helps the community at broadly, though, as well, mm -hmm. because... Students who gain access to a college degree generally are more engaged in their community and use less resources than those that are not. 
So just that one moment of a graduation, look at how it spills out. That moment and the fact that we can all work together to help more of that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you figure out something here at Owens, it's great and it helps the Northwest Ohio area. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you figured it out and shared it and the mm -hmm. fact that that can now help a student in Zanesville or Marietta or Cincinnati, that is, I think, the great space that we've created within the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. To your point, I really believe that I came into a group of presidents who are very welcoming. They, you know, reach out. Um, they will answer any question. And I think that that's something very special about what we have here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. One of the things that OACC is known for is the Student Success Center. Mm -hmm. It has gotten a lot of praise, not only in the state, but outside the state, and really seems to have brought together a lot of national best practices. You know, as you talk about students and student success and how that what that really means to not only us, but, you know, our missions and economic development. And so can you talk a little bit about the Student Success Center and kind of what you see maybe some of the, the highlights of its accomplishments are? Yeah. So uh, we were one of the first in the nation to start a Student Success Center over 10 years ago. I think there's now 20 or so of them across the nation. They cover well over half of the community college students in our nation are mm -hmm. under the umbrella of it. It's really a group of people who wake up every day thinking only about <laughs> how do we get more students across the finish line. They do that with utilizing data, mm -hmm. pulling in the best research, and then really talking about implementation. And implementation, I think, in the, you know, in the public policy timeline is the least thought about aspect of it, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody can think of an instance where they wanted to see a law or a policy changed. Mm -hmm. And they went through all the back and forth of getting a legislator or a county commissioner or a city council to change that. And then all of a sudden it finally happens after years of lobbying and, and there's a big celebration. We did it. Mm -hmm. That's that's only half the marathon, mm -hmm. right? Now the next half is, well, what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. And how do you implement it? And that's what I think the Success Center is really great at, is helping colleges figure out, okay, you want to do this. How do you do it? We start with data. I think if you look at some states, their Student Success Center would be housed with as a state agency. Mm -hmm. I think our models, you know, I'm biased, but I think our model's better <laughs> um, because we put data on the table for every college, and mm -hmm. it's not always good data, right? And I think if you were to receive bad data, from a state agency, you receive it in a way that makes you a little defensive. You're a little mm -hmm. explaining, well, yes, it's bad, but here's why, because we're dealing with X, Y, and Z. If you get it from us, I'm not here to yell at anybody. I'm here to help, right? And right. so if you get it from us, it's more of a conversation of like, well, okay, I'm not happy with that data. What do I do about it? Mm -hmm. And then you can come to us and say, we'd like to change it. And what I think our success center is good at doing is we can we can run through five or six strategies for you. Well, here's the experts in the area. Do you need a conversation on campus about why what you're doing, you know, should be tweaked? Uh, we can bring coaching strategies to you so people who are well experienced in this can come onto campus and help those who have to implement it do it better. And, and I think that has led to some pretty impressive results. And so 10 years into a success center now, we've seen graduation rates almost triple. Uh, since when we first started across the state. And that is the kind of thing that makes you proud to work mm -hmm. at OACC. That is pretty awesome. Well, and then I think, too, 
because of the group setting and because of a lot of the data that Dr. Rittner and Laura brings to the OACC, mm-hmm. you're having a conversation with your colleagues. And so it's not about competition. It's about, again, the sharing of best practices and, oh, you know, your context is different because X, Y, Z or whatever the case may be. But it's much more of a collaborative effort than a competitive one. And I think that is the key to the success of the Success Center. We Community colleges are not funded in a way that allows you to implement everything you want mm-hmm. at the speed that you want. Mm-hmm. And so to us, the Success Center is that secret sauce of you add in the collaboration. That's what helps you move faster and farther in terms of these. Even the most advanced, reform-oriented community college will sit down with you and say, we have a lot to learn. And mm-hmm. so they'll share because they want to learn back from what the others are doing. And it just helps accelerate the amount of reform that you can put in place. And, you know, presidents don't tend to be patient. Students don't tend to be patient. And so putting tools on the table to help people meet the goals that they want to in a way that, that helps bring a campus forward, it shows the wisdom of the model of a student success center, both in Ohio and, and you know, in every state that has one. I agree. I agree. I think it's pretty wonderful. It's interesting because, you know, in your comments earlier, you really connected student success and workforce development. And I know a lot of times, especially when our business and industry partners see us, they think workforce development, which they should, because Uh higher education, education in general, we're about the business of workforce development because people come to school because they want to be employed. And so can you talk to us a little bit about workforce development that really seems to be a big focus of what you hear, not only you know regionally and statewide, but nationally, because there are so many needs. But I believe community colleges in many ways are poised to meet workforce needs, particularly on a short-term training perspective, quicker than a lot of other kinds of institutions. But mm-hmm. where do you see this workforce need going in the next year, several years? Yeah, I think it's only going to become stronger. I mean, the change that I've certainly seen in the state over my time is you used to hear economic development professionals say that tax incentives were the way to get people to locate in Ohio. And tax incentives are still out there and they're still important, but they're not number one by a long shot anymore. It is workforce development. Any company that comes here now wants to have the question answered, who is my workforce provider? Mm -hmm. Who are the colleges in the area? Do they have expertise? Who are their faculty? Do they know how to do X, Y, and Z? And can they meet their needs? And if we can't answer that, if Jobs Ohio can't answer that, if the County Economic Development Director can't answer that, they look elsewhere because they're thinking of, I'm going to make an investment for the long term and putting a a plant, a factory, uh, an office space in this community. I need to know that I've got a workforce provider. You know, I think you saw a while ago that Ohio was on the wrong end of that. We were losing companies. Who were moving out of state because they didn't see the workforce pipeline. Uh, they saw it better in other states. They saw a more purposeful approach to workforce development and supporting higher education. And I think that's happily changed, right? I think mm-hmm. you've seen at the state and federal level, you have seen a broader appreciation for community colleges and mm-hmm. the role that we play. And the fact that I don't care what organization you are, you have an org chart that probably needs some people with bachelor's degrees, but needs probably more people with associate degrees or certificates. Mm -hmm. And we can't just fill the jobs at the top. 
because those people can't do their work unless they've got the entire org chart filled out. And as that appreciation has blossomed in the state, I think you've really seen the importance of community colleges grow. And I don't see that stopping. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the kind of companies who are coming into the state, you know, in the recent years, the majority of the jobs they're bringing are community college jobs. And so I think we're just going to have to double down our efforts both here at Owens and throughout the state in terms of attracting more people into our programs and graduating to help fill those needs. It really is amazing because that is a common theme. But one of the things, and we all can write tell-all books in about another five to 10 years, but so much of this was kind of an undercurrent pre-pandemic Mm-hmm. And now that we're kind of, you know, emerging out the other end, I think that a lot of times we really can't tell how much of this is COVID related versus how much was already there or what did what did the pandemic just accelerate? And so as you kind of look back on the last few years, are there certain things that you think as an industry are some lessons we've learned or some things that we should have learned? And mm-hmm. how will it impact us moving forward? Yeah, I can think of a couple, right? I mean, the f- the first is the importance of online education. It was a it was a thing mm-hmm. that happened before uh, COVID, and it happened more in community colleges than other sectors of higher education. I think we were early to the game because we serve an older adult population. We mm-hmm. saw that we had to be more flexible to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I still remember when the governor came to our meeting. And, and at the very early part of COVID, uh, one of the presidents, after he kind of told us this is not good, uh, one of the presidents said, I think the whole world is about to experience some really bad online education because everybody's going to be forced to do it really quickly and not everybody yeah. has thought of it. Um, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the levels that we had during COVID, but mm-hmm. I think it exposed a lot of people to the idea that, you know what? I like online education. Absolutely. You know, some of them didn't. And some of them are like, I like in-person education. Mm-hmm. And and so that exposure, I think, probably changes the way we do things going forward. I think the rise of the gig economy mm-hmm. is certainly changing our labor market. A lot of people think that community colleges compete with universities for students. We are competing with employers mm-hmm. for students, especially as the entry-level wages have gone up. We're in this mm-hmm. like little slice of a window, I think, where the labor market is adjusting itself. And so you have both the young people who are saying, I'd rather work for myself. Mm -hmm. And you had the older end of the workforce who exited, who Mm -hmm. said, you know, I've been working for a long time. I was kind of retired and then I was semi-retired. And they took a different look at life and said, I'm fully retired Mm -hmm. now. And so that's put a lot of labor market pressure on. The third thing I'd say is I think the the reshoring or readjusting of the supply chain mm-hmm. uh, is certainly going to change the importance of what we do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think we've mentioned that the semiconductor and Intel is not only a supply chain strategy, it's a, it's a national defense strategy. It's a huge change in what we're doing. And so as we bring those kind of things back, if we think of other things, all the things we ran out of mm-hmm. in the early days of the <laughs> pandemic, from medicine to toilet paper, uh, all of those things, I think you're you're hearing um, businesses think through what their supply chain is, and a lot of them want that supply chain a lot closer to home, right? Absolutely. And so I think that uh, a lot of those jobs in the supply chain are community college jobs, and so I think that will probably change us going forward. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, the gig economy, mm-hmm. and that's something that is so fascinatingly different than anything that I can think of in my lifetime. But it's that whole 
flexibility hybrid, like how many people do this because they can do it and have their kids in the car with them or, you know, while they're, you know, delivering groceries or whatever it is that they're doing. It's completely different. And, but I think it's also one of those things that shows us how different the thinking is of Mm -hmm. prospective students than what it was just a few years ago. And so, you know, all of us, every institution is concerned about enrollment. We can't live our mission if we don't have students to enroll. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the ways in which you see some of these trends impacting enrollment or some of the strategies that you may be hearing more on a statewide or national level that that really Mm -hmm. impact us? Because, you know, to your point, we have people, if they can make 20 something an hour at an entry level job, you know, sometimes they don't necessarily see the value in higher education until they're further down the road and have multiple commitments. And so how is it that you think maybe we can deal with some of this? So I think history repeats itself a lot. Mm-hmm. And history is pretty clear on this, mm-hmm. on community college enrollment. When the economy goes down and the unemployment rate rises, community college enrollment rises. Mm-hmm. People come back to brush up their resume, add some additional skills, so that when the labor market opens up, they're very competitive and can get the best jobs. We're living through a really weird economic <laughs> downturn right now. And so in the first you know, year or two of the pandemic, community college enrollment went down, mm-hmm. right? And that's because, look, the, our students tend to be a little bit more fragile than mm-hmm. some other uh, students in higher education. And so that fragility caused many of them to say, I can't handle this right now. Yeah. Got to take care of my family. Uh, whatever that meant to them. The rise of the gig economy at the same time meant that it gave them the flexibility to still earn while they were dealing with everything that COVID brought upon Mm -hmm. them. I agree with you completely that there's some real lessons for us to learn in higher education. If that's the population that says they need flexibility Mm -hmm. in order to work, they probably need the same level of flexibility in order to learn. Now, I think, you know, if you look at economic indicators and where things are going, we're probably headed for a little bit more of a traditional recession as interest rates are going up and you Mm -hmm. see companies starting to scale back and hiring. I still think we're probably going to revert back to history, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, even as we came out of COVID, the first thing that you saw uh, probably across community colleges in Ohio was interest in short-term certificates, Mm -hmm. uh, coming back and getting the skills. It was, what are the quick things that I need to do? I think you also saw a lot of people, depending on what industry you were in, think more about, "Mm, you know, I was a restaurant worker. I liked hospitality, Mm -hmm. but I didn't like the fact what happened to me there. And so do I now think of a career change uh, that involves a little bit more stability for Mm -hmm. me? And I think the other thing that you add into that equation is, there's a lot of new companies and industries coming into the state. And so that also requires people to sort of think through things. I think we have seen our enrollment go up, but we are still we are still back competing with businesses at this point. Yeah. And I think there's probably a, you know, a curve that happens where uh, especially entry level positions have seen really dramatic uh, increases in wages. I don't know that that's gone all the way through. Mm-hmm. And so as businesses undoubtedly in any quarter of the state are coming to their community colleges and say, I need more graduates from your programs. Mm-hmm. To me, this is a conversation that business has to be at the table with Absolutely. on us. They have to, we have to acknowledge that half the reason that we don't have all the people on our pipeline is because your fellow business members are taking them out. I don't fault any individual for taking a good job that right. pays them well. 
but many of those jobs are not careers. Mm-hmm. And, and so we still need people to think long term. And that's where I would hope that a conversation with business leaders, either locally or across the state, could get to the point that businesses working with community colleges could do a much better job of supporting their own employees and mm-hmm. pursuing higher education. Generally, I think that makes an employee much more appreciative of the employer they work for and more loyal to that company, especially on a path to promotion within the business. But in general terms, you know, this goes back to the Chamber of Commerce thing, right? Businesses Mm -hmm. do well when all businesses do well. And so I think that's the piece that we've got to figure out how to put them at the table to help support their own employees Mm -hmm. advancing in their educational careers. I mean, it, it goes back to collaboration and partnership again. Yeah. We could have every program known to humanity, but if students can't find their way to make this and earning a living work for them in their own specific set of circumstances, then may as well not have it at all. Yeah. I have this little uh, line I say that nobody listens to, but I'm going to say it to you anyway, (laughs) which is I say, you know, the old model of higher ed was you'd go to higher ed, you'd graduate, and we'd help you find a job. Mm -hmm. I think we're transitioning towards one that we help you find a job as close to enrollment Mm -hmm. as possible as uh, as opposed to graduation. Mm -hmm. And if you can give somebody the financial stability to actually learn, they'll become one, I think, a better student. Because especially if they're working in their field, I often am in a position where I get to talk to community college students, and I'm always amazed by how many have an identified career path Mm -hmm. and are not working anywhere in that field that they are studying. And if we could bridge that gap better, which requires active participation from businesses, the instances where you see it work well, Mm -hmm. the completion rates are through the roof. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're almost close to 100% completion rate when you can wrap a student around with that kind of support, both from the college and from an employer. Well, and it it helps them reaffirm their decision making. Yeah. After you've invested the time, energy, and resources to earning whatever that credential is, you know, no one wants to get to the end and realize, oh, geez, I really didn't want to do this. It would make as much sense as having a uh, registered nurse not see a patient until after they graduate. Yes. Then decide that they are averse to the sight of blood or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so providing those learn and earn opportunities, I think, are a huge way to help our students be successful. So, If we can wrap up by talking a little bit about public policy as a career, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly this is something that that has been your life's work, and we're very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that kind of interaction and government relations for community colleges in particular? And why, Mm -hmm. why is that important for us? There are 11 million Ohioans. There's one governor. There's 132 members of the legislature. There's no way they can interact with every Ohioan and figure out all their opinions. So government relations to me is not so much the interacting with legislators. Mm -hmm. It's the interacting for me with the people I represent, Mm -hmm. right? It's trying to figure out what do we agree on? And if we can all agree on something, then I can go talk to a legislator and say, this doesn't just benefit your community college. It doesn't just benefit the employers in your area. It doesn't just benefit the people who are enrolled in our programs. This benefits everyone in Ohio. And every legislator, I think, is, I mean, they are first and foremost there to represent their area, but they also have a commitment to the state. To me, when you can bring that kind of work, which is never, it's not easy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, bringing that kind of a diverse group of opinions together 
takes some work, but once you get it done, you then present a very unified front to mm -hmm. public officials. Uh, that's the real work of government relations because public officials at the same time, they're lobbyists themselves, mm -hmm. right? If you see them out in the community, you see them at a chamber event or at a community event, they're there talking to people, trying to figure out people in their area, what they care about, what their interests are, also that they can go back and talk to their fellow legislators mm -hmm. and advocate and say, listen, I really think we need to do this and this because it helps here. And then by doing that, they find out, oh, well, there's other legislators who care about this. And then you just, you form coalitions, which is what all of this is about, right? I, I remember President Gee telling me Ohio State wouldn't win if they did things all by themselves. Mm -hmm. Ohio State probably could, right? I mean, Ohio State could go in and probably say, we want this and they could do it. But he saw it as they could do better for Ohio State if all of higher education worked together and they worked with other partners. And he's right. I often say that the job of a legislator has just gotten so much more complex than it was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. the, the rate at which innovation is happening in our society brings so many more issues to the table that mm -hmm. they have got to learn about, deal with, figure out what the right solution is for Ohio. And so to cut through all that noise, mm -hmm. right, to me, a good government relations personnel uh, professional brings stuff to them that is like, everybody agrees on this. Mm -hmm. And here's who it helps. And if there are problems you are ready to address, and you're very honest with it, and here's the problems, and here's who wouldn't like it, and here's why they wouldn't like it. And then you let the public official do what their job is, which is to make the decision at the end of the day. And there's there's nobody in our field who has 100% success rate, and that's fine. We know that, right? We know that sometimes there are other interests. And I, uh, I will often say this to, to you and the other presidents, when you're in a budget situation, for instance, and you're advocating for money for community colleges. You're there with hundreds of other groups throughout Absolutely. Ohio. All of their proposals are good and well thought through and would help Ohio, right? So mm -hmm. it's not like I'm coming in and saying community colleges are great and should be funded. And, you know, pick anybody, libraries are bad. No, libraries are good too. And so <laughs> is healthcare and so are mental health services. So, you know, it's a very difficult decision that public mm -hmm. officials have to make at the end of the day. I feel like understanding that from a government relations perspective is really helpful. For those interested in the career, I will say, you know, I don't love politics. I said that up front is not my favorite part of it, but I had to do it. Speaker Joanne Davidson at one point sent me off to work on campaigns. I said no to her a couple times. That was, <laughs> that was not something you should do to the Speaker of the House, and I learned that quickly. But was she saying, was. Were you allowed to say no? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I was, but I did. And then she told me why I shouldn't. But no, she explained to me that she's like, I know that you like policy, right? I know you don't like this, but you've got to learn the politics side of it because. You know, that's how policy is made. Unfortunately, whether you like it or not, you've got to learn the politics side of it. So I always tell young people interested in this, find a campaign, not the big ones, right? Find a local campaign for somebody in your community. They largely don't have a lot of volunteers and volunteer as much as you can and really go through one of those processes. Because if you do a good job in that and somebody who wants to serve in a public capacity sees that you have talent, they will help you figure out a, a, a path forward for you. It's it's not financially rewarding, so consider it volunteer <laughs> activity, um, but you learn a lot. You learn a lot on a small campaign because, you know, you're, you're going to be doing pretty much everything. And when you're forced to go out and talk 
over and over again to potential voters and to tell them, like, here's who my candidate is, here's what they believe in. That is a repetition and a skill that I think um, stays with you forever and benefits you going forward in whatever you do in the public policy space. That is wonderful. I do want to say one thing since I'm here at Owens. Absolutely. I wouldn't have been here. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have taken this job if mm -hmm. it wasn't for Dee Talmadge. <laughs> Uh, Dee was the chair of my search committee and she was very convincing. Mm -hmm. Um, I had an inkling that I wanted to make the jump to community colleges. Mm -hmm. I will be honest and almost everybody that I worked with at Ohio state thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. And so it took some wise people from outside of my sphere at Ohio state to help push me over the edge and convince me that this is the right thing. And I have never looked back. And so I will forever be grateful to Dee for being a very convincing advocate and getting me to come over to this job. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I don't know how many people have ever said no to Dee Talmadge. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, and, and have lived not me. About it. I mean, <laughs> she is a force to be reckoned with, and I am glad that she is on our side. She's been wonderful as a trustee and on our foundation board, and the energy and advocacy that she has for this institution. I mean, one of several things that she's passionate about, but mm -hmm. it is absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing to think that someone who is not an alum, you know, is not a former employee, can have the level of advocacy and energy around her advocacy that she does. It is a blessing. Yeah. She's an amazing, amazing individual. Absolutely. We're all lucky to have known her and work with her. Absolutely. Well, it was my pleasure being able to talk with you. I'm glad that you were able to participate in conversations. We appreciate the work that you do on behalf of all community colleges, including Owens and um, the OACC definitely has a very important role for all of us and thrilled that you were able to join us today. Well, thank you. And we're happy you're here. You're doing great things at Owens. We look thank forward you. to nothing but this college moving forward and going upwards in the, in the future. So thank you. Thank you. Jack, thank you so much for being with us today. I am grateful to you and to the Ohio Association of Community Colleges for your support, as well as the development opportunities you offer and the advocacy on our behalf. Thank you for your support and for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please remember to subscribe to join us for future conversations. Next time, we'll be talking to Ann Ebert, CEO and President of Cherry Street Mission Ministries. Until then, take care. <music>